0: Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. we we'll hope you dig it. Let's start today off somewhat maybe like a movie and watch watch a scene. A not so random scene. I'm gonna I wanna do a scene that's in Revelation 19 and um, to begin us, you know, it's something I quote this one phrase out of Revelation 19 10 quite often, and it is um, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And man, I love that. I love that scripture right there. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and not so much a gift, but something that is that testifies of this reality of Jesus, who he is. And what he has accomplished. It is the ability to see things. Through the lens. Of the new covenant reality of God's will. And purposes. In the world. And um. You know. Context of the book of Revelation. Obviously it's, it's quite strange. And it's incredibly mystical. But it is. John. One of the twelve apostles. One of the originals. And um. As many as what had happened to a lot of them, he was the youngest, but they had, so many of them had been put to death. But John was put to death, and yet he did not die. And um, you, you guys have heard me told, tell that story a lot of times. It's really fun. They boiled him in a caldron of oil, and it didn't even burn him at all, kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I remember picking that thing up and reading that and just being like, yeah, buddy, that's a great scene right there. But John got sent to this island called Patmos, which was basically a prison of an island where they would send their prisoners, kind of like what they used to do in Australia, you know, they all the, the bad guys there. So, um, so that's where John was. And he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. You know, he, he gets caught up into this heavenly, technicolored, incredibly mystical experience in the heavenly places. And it... And, and, You know, and we have 22 chapters in that book. But John, the beloved, the youngest, the arguably the closest to the Lord. You know, he was one of the three at the transfiguration. He was the one leaning on Jesus at the Last Supper. Very close with him. The only one that stayed all the way through the cross, if you will. Right. He ran off at first. Everybody did. But he actually came back because he was at the foot. You know, son, your mother, mother, your son. Right. You know, these things. And so John is there. And um, he's seeing Jesus in his, I guess you could say, his real state, the glorified state, you know, this, the eyes of fire, the sword coming out of his mouth, so to speak, this white glowing appearance of his hair and, and the seven stars, the sevenfold spirit of God, this, this, this deity that he's been walking around with him in human form. And when he sees him in the book, in the book of Revelation, initially, he falls down to the ground like a dead man, his body goes limp. He's so, he's so overwhelmed with his closest friend, you know, to which Jesus has to come and touch him and say, hey, it's all right, it's me, right? If you, just, if you read through the, through the intro of that, it's like, it's me, I was, I was dead and I'm alive again. You know, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the first and the last, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the Eternal One. Uh, I'm all of these things, and he's seeing his friend that he has come to believe to be the Messiah as being even more than just the Messiah, but the embodiment of Yahweh and Yahweh himself somehow. And the priest of Yahweh somehow. All all of these concepts, these theological concepts, are dancing around in John's mind, which is like in a blender being blown and overwhelmed with this one. And he comes back and he writes the book of John, which many scholars will believe that was written after the book of Revelation. It could go either way, I believe that that's the truth. Um, but he literally starts it off with: In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's like a, He was like, hey, by the the way, Jesus existed before time and space, and and all things were created in and through him and by him and for him. And and in him is the life, which is the light of men, and and he's all light. He 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 is the darkness, could not comprehend this light. He is the light of Genesis, let there be light. He is the creator of Genesis. He is all these things. He is and was with God but also is God. Well, how, how can that be possible? It's like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mind bender. But John's trying to actually communicate this to us. And it's one of the most important things. It's the absolute most important thing you as a Christian can possibly see. Well, that's not true. No, it is true. It's absolutely true that Jesus is God. And in him there is no variance or shadow or turning. You know, I love that that song that they wrote today, the cloud by day the fire in the night when you move we will move you know when you lead we will move you know what i'm saying it's this this prophetic picture of following god through this wilderness of life and even in that reality jude jesus half brother the guy that wrote the last book of the bible before the book of revelation literally says jesus in the original translation he acts like he he writes that jesus was the one who led them across the wilderness now, King James came and they came and adjusted that like, you know, the Lord, you know what I'm saying? But that was like the Lord Jesus was written there. So even his, the kids that were raised as his brethren, or his actual literal half-brothers, kind of, they came to understand that, hey, this was him, but it was also him. Capital H, man. You know what I mean? He was there the whole time back in the day. You know, it's real, man. James half-brother as well. He wrote the same type of way about Jesus. No variance, no shadow, no turning. But also didn't even reference him as being brother. I referenced him as being something much higher. So anyhow, so John is having this revelation. And it's brilliant. And he has, you know, there's there's sections of of revelation. You know, of the different teachings and the seven church messages that, that are sent there. That we've kind of been talking some, somewhat about referencing. Um, but at the part the portion that i am in i'm in it's it's kind of futuristic and and i think it pairs really well with some of the things we've been talking about that time is all, is basically like an illusion it's it's to god it is nothing right that that scripture that says to him a day is as a thousand years is a thousand years is as of a day it's like it's like it doesn't he can do something in a day that you think would take a thousand years like time doesn't really affect him he's outside of this this temporal thing that we see as a constraint and and, and God's even bigger than that you know it's it's really great and Jesus saying before Abraham was I am like I love that you know John 8 we talked about that maybe a week or two ago and it's just like he's 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 in this place of being Abraham desired to see my day and he saw it his, and he was glad you're not even 50 how does this how is this how's this even working you know what I mean he's like I'm outside of all this you know yeah. Moses wanted to see the glory of God and what did he see he saw the he saw Jesus's back he saw the stripes on the back of the Lord Exodus 33, Exodus 34, and and so there's this there's this way that that these pr- prophetic men can see outside of time and space into the plans and purposes of God, and Jesus wasn't limited by those things either. And so here we have John receiving in this portion of Revelation 18, 19. You know, it's talking about basically Babylon really being dealt with, and and these things that are to come, and. Um, this glorious rejoicing that's happening in heaven over all this stuff, and um, if, we, if we start maybe in Revelation 19:7, if we're going to try to take our minds and just watch this scene, if we're making a movie, this is the scene, and it's John looking into this rejoicing that's happening in heaven, this huge party and celebration that's starting to happen. I mean, uh, something more wild than any game-winning Super Bowl touchdown we've ever seen. Rejoicing for real. Not, not Christianese rejoicing, oh, bless God, amen, give him a hand clap of praise, none of that kind of silliness, right? Like, just ecstatic, like, woo, we did it, you know? And um, it's like the end of the Star Wars movie, remember that, Return of the Jedi? All the, all the Ewoks are dancing around, maybe something more like that. Okay, anyway, so, but even more lit than that. Um, Revelation 19, 7, wow. Um, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. This is the spotless bride. This is the church. This is the people of God. They've actually come out of the world. They've come out of that religious system of Babylon. They're walking in purity and wholeness. You know what I mean? The, the, what what Ephesians 4 talks about. You know what I'm saying? The, 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 the fivefold, fivefold the, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry till we all attain to this full reality till we're all literally walking around like Jesus, like sons and daughters of God. The very thing that... All of creation in Romans eight is longing for and growing for. Like they've ste- we've stepped into maturity. This great and wonderful thing is happening, and it says um, so. It's this picture of the church being on that level, and 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 it says, and to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. All the symbolism. Verse nine. Then he said to me. So this is. This is the angel that's walking around or, or, or with John assisting him in writing the book of Revelation. If you can see that. You know what I mean? He's got an angelic counterpart helping him to fulfill his ministry and his calling. And he's like, alright, now write this part down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is so cool if you just look at it. He's like, alright, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Like it's gonna be amazing. Blessed are those people called to this party. You know, we're not Calvinists here, or at least I'm not. You know what I'm saying? I, I believe that everyone's called to that reality, and um, everyone's called into this. And this messenger, this person, some think it could be one of the cloud of witnesses because because of how normal he's interacting with John. John seems to be led around by angels in this, so that's why most commentaries believe it's an angel, but. Um, this messenger is like, now write this down. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's casting vision for this purpose and this victory and the ones who have the calling to participate. Blessed are those called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And it's, you know, it's similar, it's similar to Thus saith the Lord. Right? You know, when you see the prophets write thus saith the lord jehovah which they had to dis- distinguish which lord they were talking that's why they they use that you know sometimes people use that to this day and it's it doesn't really fit well but in the old testament they would write thus saith the lord jehovah like boom this would be the prophecy or the lord says this and and um and that's basically what's going on right there he he's he's saying that that and write this down like and this isn't from me this is a true word from god blessed Blessed, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper Lamb. These are the true sayings of God. And at that saying right there, John, it says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. (laughs) That's hilarious. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do. see that you don't do that. Like what? Like it's kind of like, dude, what are you doing? Like, no, 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 no. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy he was so impacted by this prophecy that came out of this messenger's mouth to him it hit him now let's remember this isn't like some immature christian that you know you know he saw an angel and it was glowing and so he started to worshiping and bow down to it. You know what I mean? This is, this is somebody who, goodness, just in the same book a few chapters back, he's fallen down like a dead man when he sees Jesus. And a voice coming out of Jesus that sounds like a multitude, you know, calling himself I am this and that. And, and it's like this is maturity, but something struck him in this atmosphere of this prophetic word of something that was to come that all people were called to and he hit the deck he, he hit the deck to worship the messenger you know to exalt him and the guy was like whoa whoa do not do that this is the testimony of jesus which is the spirit of prophecy these are the sayings of god but listen men I'm of your fellow brethren. I'm a servant like you. I may be on this side of the tracks. So you know, Heiser calls those the Elohim when he, when he breaks that word down. I may be on this side of the spirit realm from you, buddy. But we are both on the same team, serve the same master, and have the same testimony which we are here to represent. And I'm actually, I am like, dude, I'm helping you to write this out, brother. I'm helping you write this thing out. Like, like back up, you know. And when I see that picture and I see, and I see John's, John's mind getting re, re, rearranged and even this, this young you know, fisherman that's been through all this stuff with Jesus and he's seen all the prophets and he's seen all these utterances and he's seen the Spirit of God come upon them through the whole Old Testament and now he's in that same sphere as some of his heroes but even on a greater measure you know and he's being escorted around by someone telling him what to write down for his letter for his prophecy you know, uh, he's being assisted and it's like, hey, I'm helping you get this out, buddy, buddy. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not I'm not him. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and also seeing what I'm seeing and what I'm showing you, this is all the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the way I've called you to see the entire world and all of creation through the finished work. See, we've been talking about faith. We've been talking about seeing things outside of time and space the way Jesus constantly did. You know, we have scriptures like, Romans 4 17, where it's quoting what God was talking to Abraham saying, I made, I have made you a father of many nations, you know, and Abraham's like, actually I'm super old and I don't have kids, <laughs> you know what I mean? And God is calling him a father of many nations because God doesn't see him where he's at. He's seeing him outside of time and space. He sees the whole entire timeline that's inside this construct of this dimension of time and space. And he's telling them what's down there and and inviting him to see it with him because in seeing it with him, his faith will cause it to manifest as well. He's calling him to partner into this to this work by actually believing him just by believing him. You know what I mean? And we and we see all these scriptures about faith. We're a house of faith like this is what the whole thing's about. You know, They're, they're so they're so surprised about Jesus cursing the fig tree. And it's just like, look, buddy. Mark 11. Look, guys, like. If you ask, the, you know, if you believe that you've received the things which you ask for, then you will have them. And we're like, dude, I wouldn't be asking for it if I had it. So why, how am I going to believe that I received it in order to have it? That doesn't make any sense. But God is teaching mankind to see outside of time and space into the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's like, what does Jesus say about it? What does Jesus say about those things? And see, we could meditate and we can get into this scripture. We can get into a lot of these scriptures. You know, Peter saying he's given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. You know, Jesus saying those things in the book of Mark. You know, Paul saying the same exact things. But I think the true litmus test of this way of seeing through the testimony of Jesus comes into our life. It is grounded through the love of God and learning to love and see in a selfless way through the testimony of Jesus. And it's just like, well, how can we break this down so it's practical and it is walkable and we can do this in our real world, in our real life? And man, it's like, hey, that is is very simple. And it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's like, well, what do you mean? It means to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and use that poisonous, what you consider to be power, to make judgments and comparisons of other people. And not even to see people as they truly are, but actually to see them through the testimony of Jesus Christ as they, tr- as they truly are in his image, as if the fall never touched them, if they, they never inherited anything from the lineage of Adam. And in that practice... Faith will grow up in your heart and mind, and you will see as God sees, not only in people but in everything in this world. And tractor beam, you know. It's very interesting. You see, we've we've talked about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about Pentecost. We've talked about all these things, the giftings of the spirits, which which are all list, listed in First First Corinthians twelve. But if you look at First Corinthians twelve, it says, speaking of the testimony of Jesus, it it literally closes its its. Um, Listing, I guess you could call it of the and I I was going to say prophetic gifts but it's not even prophetic gifts of the supernatural giftings of the spirit when it talks about them um, in 1 Corinthians 12 it just gives all these lists of all these things um, but in the very last verse of the chapter it says but we are to earnestly desire the very best gifts and it's just like huh? It's like, but I thought all these different giftings were given to different people. There's, there's some pretty big ones in there. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom. There's the, the tongues, giftings of healings, the workings of miracles. Prophecy, discerning of spirits. That's angels, demons, giftings, different types of tongues, interpretation. All of these giftings that come from the Holy Spirit in this baptism, in this working of, of, of this reality in our life, but we're actually given a clue at the end and earnestly desire the best ones then it goes and it grounds all the gifts in first corinthians 13 in the love of god this is the most excellent way to function in the power and the purposes of god and it is actually by having love in your heart but then that love sandwich comes back to verse corinthians 14 and it says pursue love and desire spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy so the Bible's given us given us clues and given us hints about these giftings, about this thing that even John is writing about, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, if I can sum it up. And, and, and it's saying like, hey, like you should want all these things, especially one specific one. You know, and God's not a, you know, he doesn't divide bet- between different people and not a respecter of persons. It's like he's actually asking, like, wait a second, I'm raising my hand in the back of the class. Does this mean that my desire and my seeking of certain things can be rewarded, so these gifts—they're not fixed. Well, this is the one I've got, so this is the one I've always got to have. You mean I can actually have desire some of the best ones, some of the ones that build other people, and that I can get them from that? That's what the Bible's telling us. That's what's being really clear. And now a lot of stuff's been made about prophecy that's not real, but in, in its biblical definition and, and and the encouragement, pursue love and dis- and and. St- and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, it's like this encouragement, which literally means to covet after and lust after. That's how strong the wording is there, which is pretty funny. It's like you should zealously, zealously desire the gift of prophecy. It's very, very interesting that it's thrown out there to us. And, you know, sometimes we'll hear, well, seek the giver, not the gifts, brother, and all this, but it's like, but when you see it through the biblical lens, you understand John is... In, in the scene that we watched with that angel in the beginning, it's like, hey, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He's seeing somebody manifest that spirit of prophecy and bowing down to him like, hey, I know it's a big deal to you, but this is the testimony of Jesus is the essence of this thing. I'm on the same team as you and we're all called to do this. This is for us, man. Not, not the guy with the title in front of his name. Titles are almost always just they're fake. They just are, man. For the majority of the people that have them, it's like, that's not real. Not an apostle, you're not a prophet. You know, I mean, but you know what I mean. But the gift of the Spirit, like you're you're a son or a daughter of God, like that's even just as important. That's incredible, you know. And it's like this is for everyone. And a lot of times, I think we see these titles, and it's a way of differentiating the leaders from the people. And it's just like that's never, that's never the way the Bible was with it. You know, even the fivefold ministry was. It was like this. It was underhand. It was equipping the saints for the work. It was bringing people up in their levels. Not like, oh, no, I got the title, so I'm on top. It's like, it's completely backwards to the way Jesus demonstrated with his disciples and the way that it's actually written by the leaders in the Bible. So anyhow, uh, but the the point that I'm trying to make is is, is that this the love of God and the testimony of Jesus is it is a way of seeing and believing this new covenant reality to the core of our being, to where we see without the poison of the fruit of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we're not looking at people judging between good and evil. Because what does it say that uh, some people, I, I don't know who said this, but comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah, yeah something like that. It's, it's like when you compare yourself to others, you know, it's, it's, it's not the way things go. The Bible calls it coveting, But, um, you know, it's, it's like when we... When we look at other people through the lens of good and evil, it's like we're, we're trying to discern why and what and, and when and how and what's the issue, and it's really a comparison thing when we're supposed to see through the love of God and through the testimony of Jesus. And when we train ourselves to lose our minds to the opinions of this world, we will gain the mind of Christ in a profound way, we'll see everything unlimited through the testimony of Jesus. And this is the way Jesus saw all the time. Amen. This is the way he always saw. It's so the way he saw everybody. And everybody had a problem with the people that he was around, didn't they? Like, oh, that girl's washing his feet. Oh, she's wiping him with her hair. He don't, he don't know. She's a little... He, he doesn't know she's a, you know... I don't know what this means when you shake your hand like that, but it means like, yeah. It ain't good. It ain't good. And um, Jesus knew their thoughts. And it's just like, listen, like you guys, everyone was seeing backwards. One of, I think this is a a beautiful um, way that he saw, there was a man in the book of Luke, chapter 19, where the testimony of Jesus in this is Jesus. He always sees this way. Where he he was going, and it was very actually, coming pretty close to where he was going to be crucified. And so, he was going down, he was kind of coming out of town and back into town is what it seems like because this is right before the, you know, he got on the donkey that had never been saddled and all that. But he was going down to Jericho, which was like, it was like the really, well, a really wealthy area. It's like coast, you know, down near the water, the, the weather's like always good. It's like really a lot like San Diego, which Anthony's there right now my buddy. So it's very similar to San Diego, just beautiful palm trees, a lot of wealth there and if if you could see it the plan of god you know he he's like he's on his way out but there was a tax collector down there and it's the only one ever listed but he was listed as a, a chief of the tax collectors and and we understand that the, the tax collectors were were the what the jewish people cons- considered to be the scum of the world because they were jews but they worked for the romans so they literally partnered with rome to keep the jews subservient to rome it was like the the ultimate like sellout crooked people And they were very crooked and because everyone hated them they were literally they were like mafia They were like organized criminals. They were they were dangerous. They had you know I don't know if you know, but they they call it goons They had goons with them goons are like people that could really lay down the 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 fists and the, you know, really enforce what they wanted. They had their own goons, and their goons or their, their strong arm was the Romans. They had, they had connection to the Roman military to enforce what they wanted. And so they could collect taxes from everybody, and, and almost all of them were corrupt, and they dealt corrupt, corruptly. And not only that, this one was the chief of the tax collectors, So he had several of them who reported it, reported to him. And if, uh, hey, we're going, to, hey, boys, you know, the 12... Boys and girls, we're going, to, uh, we're going down to San Diego, a.k.a. You know, Jericho. What's going on down there? There's, there's a kingpin down there. there. There's an organized criminal kingpin down there. He's oppressing a lot of people. He's stealing money from a whole lot of people. He's extorting and pressuring people. And we're going we're gonna to handle him. And if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, finally, dude. No, no more Mr. Nice Guy, right? Let's, let's get after some of these guys let's overthrow these Romans, you're the messianic king, the rod of iron, you know, the, the son of David, let's get this thing cracking, maybe we're finally gonna get this thing cracking. I'm gonna go handle this kingpin, I love this, I love a fight, this sounds like a movie to me, it's like, this is great. Um, uh, that, that would be my thought, but in reality, this is not at all how Jesus went about it. Because it's like, oh you know, no, he's, he's not just this crooked, you know, bone breaking evil guy, He's somebody that's really wounded in his heart, and I'm going to show him how much I love and accept him, and it's going to change him. And I'm like, oh, are you going to be nice to this guy? That's what you're going to do? All right, let's go. So you know Luke 19. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was very rich. And he sought to see Jesus, but he couldn't because of the crowd, because he was short. I think that's interesting. This really feared gangster that's a chief tax collector and has all these people under him is a small little fellow. You know? Yeah. You think like uh, you, you know, it's like you're expecting we're gonna go see a chief tax collector. He's gonna have to, he's gonna be like Samson, you know what I mean? He's like, no, nah, he's, he's actually kind of a small fellow, you know. But He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see who he was, but he couldn't because of the crowd because he was so short. So something in this man was wanting to just lay eyes on Jesus. He heard about him and want to see him like so badly and doesn't even know why. And this is inside of all humanity, but uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11. But anyhow, eternity is in the heart of all man and he's the eternal king. So he runs ahead of the crowd and he climbed up... um, it's a fig tree, it's a sycamore tree, it's, a, it's, it's both. It's this massive, they, they, they used to grow about 40 foot. So it's a pretty big tree. So he climbed up in the sycamore tree um, in the direction that Jesus was going to pass by. But when Jesus walks by, he looks up and sees him. And he calls him by name. Another song that our guys wrote. Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down. Today I must stay at your house. And um, I love that. You know, the way it's kind of written in the Aramaic, if you'll see maybe the ESV, definitely in the, um, the Passion, but you'll see it's almost like it is, I am destined to come to your house today. It was like he was there for that reason. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it is my destiny to be at your house today. <laughs> and you imagine this little sketchy guy standing up there just to get a glimpse. He doesn't even know if he's going to look up because there's a crowd around him. You know, we got trees outside here that are, that are 40 feet. There's some oak trees right over there. And just imagine him coming down this. And him just from the middle, from the yellow lines of that road pointing up into that oak right there. Hey, buddy. a kids. I'm destined to be at your house tonight. It's that cute? Sitting there. He saw him. He heard him call his name. You know. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully into his house. I mean, it's so, such a beautiful thing. There's something that he knew his name, which means he knew about, about how crooked he was, but also the name Zacchaeus, it literally means pure. It means pure. Yeah. Hey, pure, spotless. Kind of like that bride that we talked about in Revelation 19. And if I'm the locals, they were not happy about it. When they saw it, they all complained. <laughs> they all complained. He's going to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. Hmm. So I wonder if, if Jesus, hey, sinner. No. The kindness of God leads to the turn, right? He saw who he was. He called him by his name. His pure and true name as he truly was. And something unlocked in him. And he didn't come to his house and turn the tables over. He didn't make no whip before he came into his house. He didn't braid up no little whip and walk into his house, did he? Mm-mm. came ate with him and most likely stayed the night is what they believe. But Zacchaeus stood before him and said, Lord, look, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Mm -hmm. He stole things by false accusations. He's like, "I'll, I'll multiply it by four and give it to him. I want to walk fully. I'm going to do right by people. He comes to him and makes, made a vow. This isn't Jesus from Revelation with the, his eyeballs didn't start, he didn't sit down at the table with him and his eyeballs started glowing fire like Zacchaeus is like, oh snap, I'm in trouble now. He's come to collect. The real tax collectors come to collect. That's how a lot of people see the bipolar God. That's birthed through the, the knowledge of good and evil, as both good and evil. Um, But the loving kindness and acceptance of Jesus, he was received joyfully into the man's house, this man named Pure, and he called him by his true name. And he's in the guy's house, and he has such a change of heart by seeing the one in whose image he was created. And he's inspired to turn. You know. Isn't that kind of cool? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. But what about... I prophetically know that you've done this, 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 and this. What do you have to say for yourself? And that's what we think. Some, of, some people have seen people stand up on the stage and point people out like that in crowds. They're false, by the way, concerning the way the prophetic ministry works in the New Testament. But Jesus doesn't work like that. He just he's, I can just imagine him sitting there. You know, it says Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above all of his brethren. So how could you tell Jesus out of the 12? The Romans couldn't tell which one was him. Judas had to go kiss him on the cheek, right? Because you couldn't tell which one was Jesus. He blended in. He wasn't a foot taller and didn't wear a halo, right? He was just, he blended in with all of them. And, but the oil of gladness was upon him more than all of his brethren. In other words, he was happier than everybody else. He had a joy about him. So he's sitting there eating figs, eating at his. You know what? They were probably eating uh, uh, some lasagna, right? Something Italian, right? Because so, Zacchaeus was so in with, the, with the, the Romans. So they had some pizzas and some, yes, this is the finest Roman food, you know what I mean, whatever. He's sitting there with some lasagna, and Jesus is like, yeah, this is pretty good. And Jesus was kind of smiling, looking at them. And the other guys are like, whoa, this place is fancy. Try not to break anything. All the fishermen are like, jeez. And some of them were like, man, I wish I could stab him in the neck with this. He's stealing from people. He's threatening people. He's oppressing people. And Jesus is there unlocking him with the testimony of this new covenant reality. I know who you truly are. You're living a lie. You're a little guy. You're just a little guy who's afraid. And so you've become a big monster. You're controlling everybody, you think you've won, but you know it's a lie. And now you see me, and you realize justice. Justice is your call. Restoration. It's more important for you to walk like me than it is for you to be successful in this life. And he's eating this, eating this couple, maybe he has some flat bread, some Italian bread, he's eating, dipping it into that, you know, caraba's that, that oil, you know what I mean? Just dipping into that. Garlic bread, mmm, oh, yeah, he's eating it like that. I didn't eat breakfast today. <laughs> can <laughs> um but 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 it's like he was sitting there doing that and and he's just spilling his beans it, it, if i've if i've wronged anybody like false accusation took money from him which means you did i give it back fourfold i'm that i'm you know what i mean he's completely turning because somebody saw who he was yeah. you know what i mean not because somebody came admit you're a sinner The sign down the street. The ABCs. Admit you're a sinner. That you deserve hell. Ask Jesus in your heart. What does that mean? I don't know. Just do it. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. Mm-mm. It Is understand you're valued and loved and you knew you in your mom's womb before the foundation of the world. This is the testimony of Jesus. It is the spirit of prophecy. Us and the angels. Everybody's called to see like this. Mm Mm-hmm. This is what unlocks the world. But we've got to see them as he sees them and not... Everyone else said he's a sinner. He's picking him. Psh, unreal. As you know, not not into it, not impressed. Jesus unlocking people. You know, chapter later, he's like, all right, go get. There's going to be a, a colt that's tied up. When you go to loose it, they're going to think you're stealing. Tell them the Lord needs it. That'll get you out. <laughs> They're like, okay, it happened. You know, you know the story. He's on the way back in, baby. He's, 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 he's unlocked this brick from the wall, which is this Zacchaeus, this kingpin, and he's on the way to the cross. It was important to him. But we see him, just like you see every time we talk about these books, the testimony of Jesus manifested in a person. And when we see that, we're unlocked into the same image. And we reflect the same image from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18. When we see him accurately, that's who we betray. All the gifts are meant to portray this. All of them. We talked about it a few weeks ago, man. He, he shows up, even calling his disciples. One of them was talking trash about where he was from five minutes before he, before he met him. Right, Nathaniel? John 1? Golly, Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and says, We found the one. We found the one who's the Messiah. John 146. Nathaniel says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, are you kidding me, dude? He's from Nazareth? You know, you know how backwards and trashy those people are? They're a bunch of idiots, man. I'll come look. Okay, I'll come. See the Messiah you found. When he walks up to Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, like, oh yeah. Think I'm trashy? (laughs) Nothing good from Nazareth? Guess what? You were on my list and now you're right. You know what I mean? What does he say to him? He says something that, he says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. There is no deceit in you. You have integrity, buddy. And like all of, you know, Philip had to be thinking like, Wow, well actually he was, he's kind of negative. And he, a little bit. And he kind of has an elite vibe about him. He actually thought you were going to be below him. Maybe you straighten them out. You know what I mean? But Jesus is just like Zacchaeus. He's coming and speaking into the core reality of who he was. That Psalm 139, who he was inside of his mom's womb. No, no, no. Who I've knit together is someone different. You are a, an Israelite indeed. You are pure. You have you have no deceit. You have integrity. Nathaniel's like, How do you know me? How do you know who I am? It struck a chord. Before Philip called you and you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You're the son of God. That's it. I'm officially. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm, I'm sold. You're the one. You know what I mean? And we don't know what he was doing under the fig tree. We don't know if he was praying right there. You don't know if he was having a crisis. Uh, some people think that's an Aramaic idiom that means, like, I knew you when you were in your your dad's um, loins. You know, they say stuff like that before your mom's womb or something like that. Some people think that that's kind of what could be what it means, but I don't think that that's. I, I think it's. It's obviously, it struck such a chord because there was something going on with him under that fig tree, very personal between him and God and in his heart. And Jesus revealed it in a way that only he could have known. He's like, you're the one, you're him. I was talking trash 10 minutes ago. Now I'm not, you're the one. I'm, I fully yield." <laughs> he was like, dang. The other disciples was like, dang, easy. We don't know him that well yet. He might be, but dang, can't cool it down. And he went from, you know. But anyhow, it, it's this, the way Jesus sees outside of time and space and just like, what was it, Romans 4. That we that we quoted earlier. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, you know. I've made, Abram. I've made you a father of many nations. I'm gonna change your name by the way to Abraham because I like it better, and that's what, what I real what I my real name for you. And you know, well, that's not what my dad named you. It's like yeah, but that's the name I picked, and he almost got it right. But this is what it is, and <laughs> a, and I'm your real dad, and and. You're going to be a father. You are the father of many nations, not, not are going to be. And I call those things that are not. He calls those things that are as though they are because in him, he's outside of this line of time and space. And he, the testimony of Jesus sees that way. It sees through the first Corinthians 13. It's not a wedding chapter, dude. It's about the love of God manifest through the power of these spiritual gifts. That's what it's really about. It's not. You know, don't put it over your kitchen table, live, laugh, love, and 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and all these things. It's like, it literally means something different. It means the power manifested in you will manifest when you understand the love of God. It hopes all things, it believes all things. In other words, you see somebody, you don't judge them for the state that they're in, you you come to this place of hope and belief for them in the goodness of the reversal of all things dark, and you speak into that identity and it unlocks that entity, that identity. You dig? That's what prophecy is. That's what it is all the way through. And that's, this could be four hours long. It won't. It won't. But it could be because I can demonstrate this over and over again in the life of Jesus, but also in, in the words of Paul, in the words of John, in the word of Peter. It's like that's what this is about. Stepping into the, the kingdom reality, the age to come. Hebrews 5 calls it this age to come like heaven on earth in the here and now and ushering it in this prayer that Jesus called us to pray wasn't, it was not good luck father in heaven, your kingdom come your will be done here and now on the earth as it is in heaven not after we leave the earth and go to heaven, on the earth as it is in heaven and it happens through unlocking the sight of the testimony of Jesus and hearing the name called Zacchaeus Pure. <laughs> Nathaniel. Israelite, indeed, there is no guile in you. I've already seen it. It's a beautiful reality and it is our reality. It is the way we are called to see. Everything in this life, the abundance of heaven, is called to be our lot in this life. And we're supposed to be living above any oppression that's in this temporary place in such a profound way that people want what we have. And we can point them in the direction of the Father because of that reality. feel me? So, Lord, we thank you for your word which is true, which is eternal and unbroken and perfect, and it is a light into our path and into our feet. And, Lord, I ask that this word... um, even as you open the disciples' minds to understand it, that you would continually unlock our brains, which we obviously use very little of scientifically, that you would continually unlock us by your word, that we would see you as you truly are in it, and that the testimony of Jesus would be the the song of our life. It would be the soundtrack, even, of our life, in our destiny and purpose, and even the way of our plans and purposes. And that the testimony of Jesus would be the lens through which we see every person, every single person, as whole and as valued and loved by you with purpose and destiny.